0: To the Axis Church Sermon Podcast, a series revealing Christ in the Old Testament, broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to glorify God and make much of Jesus by making disciples and planting churches, making it hard to get to hell from Nashville, Tennessee. For more information, please visit us online at theaxychurch.org. All right. Happy Sunday. Yeah, it's a good day to be here. Good day to be alive. Um, Happy summer. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis Church. And uh, we are a three and a half year old church, still new, figuring things out. Actually, next, next week, I think, Uh, No, the second week of July. It was July seventh. So I guess the first week of July will mark four years that that my family has been in Nashville, that we've been in in Nashville together, as a family. Um, Four years ago we moved. I came in April. Four years ago, my whole family came in July, and uh, it's beautiful. It's amazing to see what God has done. Um, (laughs) I've learned. I've learned so much. Um, I've changed so much. I've seen so many of you all affected by Jesus and changed by His Holy Spirit uh, over these last four years, and it's amazing. And so whether you're this is your first Sunday here, or this marks a year for you, or two years for you, or perhaps you've been with us from the very beginning, uh, man, I'm glad you're here, and I want you to be encouraged, regardless of where you're coming into the Axis story. I want you to all leave encouraged today. I want you to leave changed. I want you to leave captivated on Christ um, I would love for us all as a church collectively and in scattering as the church individually to that be the posture and song of our heart of Jesus Christ be, being lifted higher, of him being exalted more, of him being celebrated and recognized and praised and considered more and more and more every day that we live our life, every week that we live our lives, every year that we have this trajectory of growth and health and excitement of who Jesus is and being changed into being more like him. This is, this is a hope and this is a prayer for me as well as it is something I pray for you as our church. This morning we're going to be considering some of these things that get us going in that trajectory of loving Jesus and making him famous and experiencing him uh, personally day to day. So go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 16 this morning. We are week nine into a 16-week series of looking to Jesus in the Old Testament, trying to find pictures and glimpses, uh, illustrations or types of who Jesus is and what he did in the New Testament, but seeing those pictures and types and, and shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, one of our men here at the Axis said that the best thing to do is to take the New Old Testament intro page, like the title page of the Old Testament and the title page of the New Testament and kind of rip those out of your Bibles um, because it's really one, ultimately one testament. It's one story of Jesus. It's one story of God pursuing us and bringing us to himself through the work of Jesus Christ. It's God loving us and restoring us back into friendship, into relationship with himself through Jesus, That's the story of Scripture. It starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. It starts in a garden and ends in a city. Everything's great, Garden of Eden, blissful, perfect, wonderful. And then sin enters the picture. And then there's this restoration project, this, this salvation, this rescuing of Christ saving a people, restoring us, Recreation, recreating us back to how it was in the beginning. So this is just creation, fall, redemption, recreation—the big story of the Bible. That's the meta-narrative. That's the huge grand plot of Scripture. And so believing this, we're going to go into the Old Testament even today and look at another glimpse of Christ in the Old Testament. He didn't just show up in Matthew, all right? He's here, and he even says so. So let's uh, let's start reading in uh, Exodus 16 as we consider the Red Sea the parting of the Red Sea, and the manna that fell from heaven. Okay, uh, Let's start reading in, uh, in verse 2. Exodus 16, 2-5, and then 27-35. through 35. So I'm kind of jumping around here in chapter 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, here's the test, on the sixth day when they prepare What they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, that day of rest. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days remain each of you in his place let no one go out from his place of his place on the seventh day so the people rested on the seventh day now the house of Israel called its name manna it was like coriander seed white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey like frosted flakes I guess Moses said this is what the Lord has commanded Let an omer of approximately two to three liters of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years. Forty years. So Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Let's pray and uh, we'll get busy together. Jesus, would you uh, work in our hearts? Would you open our, our hearts to you? Would you open our eyes to see you? Would you open our ears to truly hear you? And would you... Somehow, miraculously, silence, distraction, uh, cause our daydreaming to cease. And would you allow us to focus solely on what it is that you have to say to us? Lord, would you protect the people from things that I say that aren't helpful, that aren't true? Lord, silence those, take them from me, but even if I say them, would you cause them not to hear them because my purpose is to, Lord, make much of you and to point them to you and get them to your feet because if they're there, they can be changed. And Lord, I don't want to do anything to hinder that. So Holy Spirit, would you please help me in this? Lord, would you help us hear what it is that you have to say to the Axis Church and its friends and family that have gathered here today? God, change us, truly change us, feed us with food that truly satisfies. God help us this morning, please do this, in Christ's name, amen, amen. All right, so, so context here, uh, trying to paint the picture of where we just jumped into Exodus 16. Um, The children of Israel, the Hebrews, were in slavery in Egypt, and they were being oppressed. Their children, they were growing, and so their children were being murdered. They would murder boys. If they were boys, they would murder them because they did not want them to continue as a race because they were outnumbering the Egyptians. And Pharaoh, the ruler of the Egyptians, put these things in place, making them work hard labor, killing their children, making them produce uh, bricks with no straw, which in this culture that was a, a major ingredient. So they had to go f- find their own straw. It was the ingredients weren't pr- weren't given to them. They were being starved. They were experiencing cruelty. They were being beaten. They were oppressed. And so they cry out to God, and He hears them, and He remembers His covenant that He made with His with His people, speaking of what He's told to Abraham that He would give them a land that's flowing with milk and honey, that he would make them his own people, that they would be a people with many, many, many thousands of descendants, as many that even outnumber the stars in the sky. But they're hurting. They cry out to God, we need you, we need to be rescued. And so God calls a man Moses. He calls a man Moses, and and Moses hears from God in a a burning bush. And it's where God basically says, you're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to call them out, and you're going to to rescue them. You're going to deliver my people from the, the hard, crushing, damning hand of Pharaoh. And I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to give you the miracles to be able to do in order to make this happen. You go get my people and bring them to this place to worship me so he goes and and Pharaoh says no so God sends 10 plagues against Pharaoh 10 like frogs uh, lice locust water into blood death of children incredible suffering and so Pharaoh finally submits and he says okay y'all can go so they exit hundreds of thousands millions of Hebrews and even others that weren't Israelites exit, Exodus, Exodus, Egypt, and they're delivered out of Pharaoh's hard crushing rule. So they're celebrating, they've made their way out of Egypt, they're making their way to this promised land that God said he will give to them. They follow God on this wilderness, in, in, on this journey, they follow him, uh, it's a it's a pillar of, like a cloud during the day that they follow. When it stops, they stop. When it moves, they move. And then at night, it's, it's, a, it's a, a pillar of fire that they follow, that, that lights the way and it gives them direction. And when it stops, they stop. So they're following God. And then all of a sudden they hear a roar. They hear screaming. They hear footsteps. And it's the Egyptian army. It's every man that could assemble to get on this journey. It's every horse. It's every chariot. And they're tracking down. Pharaoh had once again changed his mind, and he wants his slaves back. And so the children of Israel, they run, but they dead in at the Red Sea. It's this huge body of water. They can't cross it. What's going to happen? God tells Moses to walk out into the water and lift his staff up. And I promise you guys, this is what Scripture says. The Red Sea is divided. It separates and becomes two walls like a hallway and the it's not even muddy it's it dries out I know this is crazy this is just how God works he does crazy things like this they're called miracles and and they were able to cross on dry land and as soon as they cross the millions of people cross the waters come crashing down and the soldiers of Egypt drown God's people are rescued God's people are delivered once again Today, we're looking at another story of how God delivers and how he protects his people. After they had crossed the Red Sea, they take a deep breath, they hang out for a few days, and they realize this side of the sea is dry. This side of the sea, there's no life. This is a desert, this is a wilderness. And by the way, our food that we got as we left Egypt is gone, and we're hungry. So Exodus 16, 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Anytime you see the word grumbling in the Old Testament, it's extremely negative and it's extremely arrogant. Very prideful. They're in this wilderness. They're in this desert. Life cannot be sustained in this type of place. But notice that they're following God, the pillar in the cloud. They're following God, and where does he lead them? Into this wilderness. So God is the one who's leading them here and taking them there. He's leading them into a hard place. He's leading them into a difficult spot. He's leading them into a tough scenario, and this is God's plan. This is God's journey that he's bringing his people on. Then you see in verse 3, basically he says, they say to to Moses and Aaron, you know what, we had it better in Egypt. Remember, they hated Egypt. They were crying out because they're suffering, because of how difficult it was. And now they say, you know what, we had it better back then, let's go back there. They hated Egypt and now they desire Egypt. You see, in their hearts they were still slaves, and God is going to use this wilderness experience to teach them how to be truly free. There's going to be suffering, there's going to be trial in order for them to learn who he is and how to follow him in obedience. This speaks big time to us and to why we experience sufferings, why we experience heartache. I'm going to hit on more of that as we move. You see, God must teach them to be free. Because they're free, but they're not really free. Not if they want to go back to that. They're not truly set free to God. As soon as it gets tough, they want to go right back. I hope that we learn today what it's like to be truly free. As we're so prone to wonder that God would just teach us how to remain in Him, even through tough seasons. Even through sufferings, he had to teach them how to be free and he had to teach them how to trust him and he had to teach them that he was trustworthy. Consider Deuteronomy 8, this is uh, verses 2 through 5. This goes right along with Exodus 16. Exodus 16, Deuteronomy 8. And you will remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. They've been, they, they're in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses is saying, You will remember the whole way, the big picture that the Lord your God has led you. He's leading you these 40 years in the wilderness, wondering that he might humble you. 40 years, it's, it's a way that, it's, it's, a, it's a, a trail, a, a path that should take a few days. And they wondered for 40 years. And they were being led by someone who knows exactly all things of the earth. And he was the one leading them. So there's purpose in wilderness. And you will remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. It's huge. Testing you to know what was in your heart. It's for us to know what's in our heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you And let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell for these 40 years. That's a crazy miracle too. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, remember this, we're going to pick this up later. As a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Wilderness, discipline from a father to a son. Remember how the Lord humbled you and tested you. He tested you in order for you to know what was in your heart. So their are 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. it wasn't. It, it was for education and training, not worried about a destination, a physical destination, or transportation of getting from point A to point B, literally, physically. It was getting them to see God. It was teaching them. It was an educational thing, not just a destination type of thing. Now consider the rest of Exodus 13, 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots, which they didn't, and ate bread to the full, which they didn't, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us all with hunger, to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Why have you done this? They're grumbling, they're angsty, they're angry. Why are you doing this? If we're going to die, let's die full. Let's die back there where we had it great. (laughs) Which they didn't, but it's the lie of, of, of the enemy. So what does God do? After they grumble, after all that he has done, miracle, protection, deliverance. Miracle, protection, deliverance. God is so faithful. Perhaps they felt like, it was a great plan to leave, but now there's no plan to stay. Like, what's, what's next? So they grumble. There's no plan for food. Perhaps they've grown to expect God to be miraculous and do something. Okay, we're hungry. Now, come on, you fix these things. Like, what's up? What's next? So they're grumbling. They're, they're asking for Moses and Aaron to provide. They get very hostile. So in response to their grumbling, let me just first say, naturally to authority when this type of thing happens it's like hey you listen i am faithful and i brought you out here you don't talk to me like that you don't question me right who are you all right check this out see what god does in verses four and five behold moses behold i'm about to rain fire of judgment upon you for your grumbling it's not what he says is it Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. In response to their grumbling, he rains grace, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. God doesn't leave you. He provides bread for you and tells you how to get it. By the way, you shouldn't have bread in the desert. When you're in the desert 40 years your supplies They're gone and there's no way of, of having bread. Bread for millions of people. God providing bread in the desert teaches us that the very best circumstances without God is still a place of death. The very best places are death without God. And it also teaches us that tough times, wilderness times, difficult times with God can be a place of growth. It can be sweet. It can be a place of joy. These tough seasons can be making you better or it can be making you worse. It'll make you bitter or better, but you will not remain the same. When trials come, when wilderness seasons are around you, which is the norm for believers, the normal Christian life is that of suffering. It's that of the wilderness life as we're persecuted but not destroyed. We're changed. We do not remain the same through suffering. And it's as we go through these wilderness seasons that we experience healing and we grow deep as individuals. You see, you're justified, you're made righteous before God instantly through faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But you're sanctified, you're changed practically slowly. And it's through the wilderness, it's through the trials, it's through the testings, it's through the discipline, it's through the training that you're changed and made to be like God. You're pursuing holiness. You're abiding in Christ. You're taking every thought captive. You're praying. You're studying. You're doing the hard things to honor God. You're living practically and you're changing to be practically in the moment who you already are ultimately in the eyes of God. So the way that theologians word this sometimes is, is, yeah, we're saved, but we're also being saved. We're being made into who we already are in the eyes of God. And these wilderness experiences seem to produce greater, deeper growth in us as we follow God through tough seasons. You ever met someone that just seems really wise, wise beyond their years? Deep, just a deep individual, solemn. But they're so young sometimes. You you meet someone, it's it's fitting for someone who's older. But when they're younger, it's like, man, how do they, what? And they've usually been through a lot. They've usually endured incredible suffering to get them to that place. Consider Romans 5. It says, we rejoice in sufferings. Knowing, how do you rejoice in suffering? Well, it's knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So ultimately, hope comes from enduring sufferings. People with depth usually get that from experiencing pain. Superficial thinking, no concept for enduring tough times, lack of wisdom, you only change from that state by going through wilderness seasons. You want to be strong. You want to be wise. You want to be deep. You want ability. You want depth. It's going through tough seasons and keeping your eyes on the Lord as you go, trusting Him. That produces these things in you. Yet our society pushes away from this. We're taught to, man, when you, you deserve better and, and, and here's a pill, here's an injection, here's a treatment so that things can get better right now. But character building is a process. Being truly liberated and set free is a process. Training takes time. Training in holiness and being made like God, practically speaking, in our practice of our life, is an arduous process. It's slow, it's difficult, it's hard. We all, much like the children of Israel, need a change. Our hearts need to be changed. So he leads them into the wilderness to teach them. It's a teaching moment. I have some practical implications of of this and how it's encouraging to us. But first, let me point to this manna being a, a greater picture of who Jesus is. It's a shadow of who Jesus is. Consider what Jesus says here Consider Matthew 4, and then I want you to hear some words of Jesus regarding the bread in John 6. This is Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, even led Jesus, right after he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, right after the baptism of Jesus, he sends him into the wilderness to be tempted. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) That's probably one of the understatements of Scripture. Um, Yeah, he was. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Bread in the wilderness? We've seen this before. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. He's speaking of physical but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's something that sustains greater than the physical needs being met. There's something greater that Jesus is pointing to here. And he unpacks it for us in John 6. Do not work for the food that perishes, Jesus says, but for the food that endures, that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. And then the Pharisees said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, speaking of miraculous sign, our fathers, speaking of their ancestors, going all the way back to Moses, ate the manna in the wilderness. It is written that he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, much like the manna falling from heaven, and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, sir, and this is a beautiful request, but they're thinking physical still, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. They will be satisfied. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Of course, he's not thinking uh, physically. He's thinking eternally, spiritually. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Your fathers ate this bread, this miraculous sign that you're talking about, and they still died. You need something more than physical. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And he's speaking of the perfect life he lived and his death on the cross as he gave up his body for us. As the one to receive the punishment on the cross that we all deserved. So it's through that and us taking of that life that he gave that we're saved and we experience true life and we experience eternal life. Manna was God's miracle of providing for his people and it was given day by day. It was used to meet the physical needs, but also it was to show the father's love and his generosity and his faithful provision to rescue his children. The manna was never intended to be an end In and of itself, it was pointing to a greater hunger, a greater need. It was pointing to Jesus. You see, manna fills stomachs, but Jesus filled hearts. The manna came down from heaven to sustain life, and Jesus, the greater manna, came down to earth to forgive our lives, our sins, and to give us eternal life manna fixed hunger physically jesus fixes hunger spiritually and he changes our hearts and he changes eternity for people manna was given as a test of obedience to the law remember he said i'm gonna do this to to test to see if you're gonna walk in my way but we have failed at this just like they failed on the seventh day they go out and they got too much and you can read there in that chapter sixteen of exodus And it rotted, and he was like, all right, now let's do this different this next day. Such patience and grace. Jesus, the greater manna, he came, and he fulfilled the law perfectly for us. Where we have failed, he has succeeded. And it's because he failed for us as we place our hope and our faith in him that we're saved. God didn't expect them to create their own bread. He didn't bring them out to the wilderness to say, figure it out. He brought it down to them. He brought the bread to them. He caused it to rain down to them. Similarly, Jesus or God does not expect us to create our own bread, to create our own ability to sustain life. He doesn't expect us to keep a list and be good enough, stay away from bad things to be good enough. He doesn't expect us to jump up to the heavens to be righteous enough. So he brings Jesus down to us. It rained manna when they deserved it to rain wrath. And yet Jesus, not deserving of wrath, it rained wrath upon him on the cross so that we would not experience the wrath of God. He took it for us so that we can be forgiven. The Hebrews had a need that they couldn't satisfy. And God gave the Hebrews manna, physical bread, to satisfy their physical need, hunger. We all have a greater need that we can never satisfy on our own. The need is to be restored back into friendship with God that has been broken because of our sin. He can reunite that and restore that. So God gives Jesus the greater manna to satisfy our spiritual need, which is to make us holy and to be made righteous. And that's something we cannot do by ourselves. It's so much easier to make bread in the desert with nothing than it is to make yourself righteous on your own. And it's impossible to make bread out into the wilderness with nothing. No one can do it. No scientist could do it. It's impossible. And yet that's so much more probable than making yourself righteous before God. That truly is impossible. Without holiness, without this righteousness that comes through Christ, it is impossible to be with God. It is impossible to see God. So Jesus is given to us as greater sustenance, greater life in our wilderness, which is sin. Now, in closing, I want to give us two things here, two takeaways in this text. The first is eating true bread brings lasting change. Eating true bread brings lasting change. And the second is there is hope in the wilderness. I want to go through these two things and I want to pray for us. First takeaway eating true bread brings lasting change. What I mean by this is preaching the truth of Scripture, preaching the gospel to yourself. It's preaching objective truth to your subjective wilderness. Because we come and go, man, we're, we're so up and down all the time. Our, our scenario, our life, our happiness, we're, we're, on, we're just such waves and waves. There's nothing steady and constant. The Word of God, the truth of Scripture, the Gospel is the constant. It is the, the steady. It is the sure thing. You can bank your life on that because it's not going to be waving around. It's not going to be moving you to and fro. It's steady. It can be trusted. It's truth. It's true. So, this has to do with preaching this truth to yourself, how to eat true bread, because that's what brings lasting change. Eating the truth, digesting the truth, teaching and preaching to yourself, feeding yourself. This is what I mean here. In Deuteronomy 8, he said, He fed you to teach you that bread alone cannot satisfy. In spiritual wilderness, the manna points us to the word of God, to the truth of the gospel, the truth of what Jesus did. And what I want us to learn how to do is learn how to turn truth, objective truth, into bread, something that speaks to my situation right here, allowing the truth of Scripture to practically speak to my condition. How do I think truth to where it encourages me without my situation changing? How do I have hope in the wilderness without just being delivered from the wilderness? Because we try to stay from the wilderness, stay away, and as soon as we're in it, we want to be delivered from the wilderness. But how do we have hope outside of just being delivered? How do we have hope in the middle of suffering? How do we have hope in the middle of tough difficulty? Your strength comes from the process of digesting and processing this truth, thinking it, working through it. It's telling yourself, as you're in these wilderness seasons, I'm loved. I'm loved by God because of all that Jesus Christ did for me. I'm accepted. Whether I'm accepted by that man or that woman or whether I'm ignored and shunned and rejected by those people, there's one great area in my life where I'm accepted and approved that shines, outshines, outlasts, outglorifies any other relationship or acceptance or denial, and that's being accepted by Jesus Christ, accepted by God, the creator of everything. In the season of, of, of wilderness that we find our in, it, it found, find ourselves in. It's, it's wonderful knowing that we're delighted in. But look at how horrible a situation I'm in. Oh, you're cherished. I just failed. Oh, you're so loved but I'm, I'm in a dirty situation, and I feel dirty. Oh, you're so clean. You're perfect. You're the apple of my eye. I love you. It's hearing this. It's telling yourself the truth of Scripture. Not suffering. What have I done wrong? I've done something wrong. Where is it? Suffering. What should I do differently? I've got to change something. I, I can't. I can't stay like this. So we preach to ourselves in the middle of suffering and difficulty. We all do. We're all incredible preachers, personally speaking. We're all incredible preachers. That when suffering happens, it's automatic. Boom. What have I done? How do I hide it? How do I cover it up? Am I going to be accepted? What if they find out? How do I get out of this? We preach. We begin to preach. We begin to preach. We begin to preach. Eating true bread brings lasting change. Eat the true bread. Eat the gospel of Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking, to where it becomes practical hope and peace. It's telling yourself, you have a good God. He's good. He told them to take a, a three liters, two to three liters of the bread to remember, right? To remember his faithfulness of how they crossed the Red Sea and how he brought manna in the wilderness. Crazy! Remember, he's faithful and good. When you're in the moment of suffering and wilderness, what, what you preach to yourself first is, where's God in all this? Is he even aware? And it's in those moments where we need to remember, remember his faithfulness, remember his goodness. Don't let the subjectivity of what just happened five minutes ago change what's been constant since the creation of the world. There's something more constant than the tides and the sun and the moon. It's God being God, God being good and having a plan and working all things according to his purposes, which are good. It's knowing this, it's 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 preaching this so that you believe it. Because it's it's really hard to believe that, so that's why we preach it to ourselves. Over it. We're trying to memorize these truths in our soul, not just in our minds, to where they affect us personally. We have a good God, and He's working things out for our good. Yeah, but that's your subjective situation. I want you to look at the objective truth. All things, not some things, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We've got a good dad. He's got a mysterious big plan. We don't have it all figured out, but we trust in that rather than the subjectivity of our, of our wave, of our situation, of our trials and sufferings. Allow these truths to speak into your situation, and that brings hope and that brings comfort. It's a fact, it's preaching to yourself you know what? What Jesus did guaranteed me that one day there'll be none of this stuff, there'll be no suffering, there won't even be a tear. He's going to wipe away all tears. It's going to be, everything's going to be made new. Everything is going to be made new. And I want to be there. It's having even hope like that. It's tasting this truth. It's thinking it. It's processing it. It's working its way out. We we try this by by taking drugs. We try this by drinking away our problems. So we preach that way. We we try to cope and, and, and handle our situation through these things. Rather than digging deep and learning how to preach truth. We'd rather just forget it. But there's hope. You don't have to mask it. You don't have to cover it. No good thing does he withhold from those he loves. You may be asking for a poisonous snake and praying for a poisonous snake, thinking it's bread, and God says, no, I'm not going to give that to you, but I want it. No, God, you don't love me. It's love that's telling you this is poison and you don't see it, so I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to give you this. That's a stone. That's bread. That's a stone. That's bread. I want the snake. Just, no, just take this bread. Would we see that he's good and that he has good things to give us like this? Our God is faithful. He is a good giver. What we should look for is not the temporal, Fleeting, materialistic stuff, but look to Jesus. That's what our soul craves, whether we realize it or not. That's where true strength and sustenance is found, nourishment is found, is in Jesus. We all have this hunger. We all have this craving. You see, we're all created in the image of God. And, and what this means in part is that we have a God shaped void. The void is caused by our sin. And that void can only be changed and filled with a personal relationship with himself. This void can never be satisfied by better health. This void can never be satisfied by more friends and being accepted by more and rejected by a less of a crowd of people. This void can never be restored and and filled by having the perfect family. This void can never be satisfied by doing enough social justice. And outdoing the bad in your life with good. This void can never be satisfied by fame, notoriety, by more money, a bigger paycheck, a bigger house. This void can never be satisfied by by comfort and safety. This void will never be satisfied by having greater control of your life, keeping you from wilderness, because it's inevitable. This void will never be satisfied by you conquering your fears. These are counterfeit breads that cannot satisfy. We were seeing it just a while ago. No other name but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. Nothing but God our Father. Nothing satisfies like Jesus. Our void was never intended to be satisfied by anything else other than God and God alone. Our souls are made for Him. Every desire we have is a shadow of a greater longing for Him. And every person that we ever meet, every person in this room, desires this relationship restoration with God, whether they know it or not. It is the foundational longing of our lives. My prayer is that you would Look for this hunger to be satisfied in Christ and experiencing what it's like to be accepted by God because he will satisfy. To those who are seeking to be in Christ, pursue him, feed, eat, eat, eat. Preach the truth to yourself. Preach how false these other truths are that you can have more and be happy. Preach against that and call it what it is. That it's not true and it's not lasting and it doesn't bring change because what happens when that runs out? You damn the thing that took it from you or you damn yourself for not stewarding the money rightly. It's hopeless. So what if your hope is built on something greater than just money or a home? What if it burns down? Where's your hope? It's burned. Place your hope in something that lasts. Something that rust and moth cannot devour and tear away and tear down set your hope on Christ and what he's done for you feed preach worship him with your life worship him with your time worship him with your gifts your skills worship him with your money worship him through through reading the scriptures and studying scripture and and talking scripture with friends and family with church family pray talk to God these are feeding the new man. This is feeding your spirit. This is feeding that true hunger that's there for Christ. And those things satisfy. Connect with the church family through accountability, friendship, and community. If you want true change, it's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So eating true bread brings lasting true change. And then lastly, there is hope in the wilderness. And man, this really encouraged me, and I pray that it encourages you Because I know there's many here today that feel like they're in a desert. Man, when you hit that wilderness of loneliness, man, you feel like no one knows the pain and the suffering that you're going through. You feel like you're on a desert island with no food, no drink, nothing green, just crabs and sand. Nothing. Consider this for those who are in these wilderness seasons even right now. Consider Hebrews 12, 5 through 14. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when when reproved by him, disciplined by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So he intentionally led the children to the wilderness for testing, for disciplining them, training them. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. So that's without exception. So if you're experiencing a wilderness, then, man, that's, from what this says, that could be proof that you are son, that you are daughter. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? For our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, because this is true, lift your drooping hands. But I'm in the wilderness. Get strength, lift your weary hands. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, the manna was given as food but also for a test. We read that together. And they failed the test on the seventh day. I want to close with this right here. There's two types of tests. There's tests that's very rare, and there's, which is the test to qualify you. But then there's also a, a very common test, which is to disqualify you. You go to have a driving test so that people can keep the bad drivers off the road. You're accepted to a closed university. You test in, and you prove that you can be there, that you deserve to be there, intellectually speaking. And then from that point on till graduation, they try to disqualify you from receiving the diploma, from the degree. They're not there trying to to see you, everyone who applies and is accepted to finish. Not everyone who starts in college (laughs) finishes in college. There's a lot. Yeah, it took me a while. So we we know what it's like to, to, to try to get rid of and be disqualified. That's not the type of testing that's here. This is a very rare testing. A testing of a father over his son. God patiently loving over and over for 40 years saying, let's try it again tomorrow. I've tried teaching my boys responsibility. I've tried teaching them how to work. This is a process we're working on, right, JJ? We're working on it. This weekend, he put together a bed and uh, took it apart, and it's pretty awesome. He loves my tools. But there's times when earlier in his life, and even some even now, I would give them a responsibility that would take 30 minutes. And my boys will spend five minutes on it. Parents, if you know, you know what I'm talking about here. They spend five minutes and they're done. They're finished. You walk back and you see it. It's like, well, yeah, I'll just do this real quick because it's easier than just having them and teaching them to do it. So you do it, and so they come back and see it later. Oh, it's done. So they grow to think that they can start something and not finish it. But then when you begin to, to wean them off of that That laziness in in regarding completing something, a good parent will say, you know what, this is your task, and it's only going to be done by you. So when you start it and quit after five minutes, you still have 15, 20 minutes left to complete this job. So he works for five minutes, and he comes back the next day, and it's still there. Son, why didn't you finish this? Well, I thought you would finish it. No, 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 no. This is for you. I want you to do it. So he he works on it some more the next day. Son, why isn't this finished? Well, I thought you would finish it because you finished stuff for me before. No, this is for you. And so he finally finishes it. Good job, son. That is how this word testing is used here in regards to the manna. He didn't give that to them to say, ha ha, caught you, disqualified. You grumbled, you complained, you gathered it the wrong way. He shows grace. It's not there to disqualify you as that of an exam at a college. Say, oh, not good enough. But it's there saying, okay, this is not good enough. Now let's try it again. i want to help you. Let's do it again. I want to help you. Let's do it again. It's when the child doesn't fail. It's when the child fails and, and disqualifies himself that the father's heart goes out to him even more. A father's tests are different than that of a professor's test. A father's tests aren't there to disqualify the child from his love. The more that they struggle, it's as if the father somehow begins to love and the heart goes out more, longing for something better for them. The wilderness seasons that we're delivered to aren't punishment, but a loving leading of God for our growth and our sanctification, for our true change yes the father brings pain but only enough pain to avoid greater pain later the bad things aren't punishment we are being changed and grown with God trouble isn't necessarily because you failed or because God has failed he's treating you as his child so when you're in the wilderness you have to tell yourself these truths because we've all learned how to preach if we live right then our lives should go right. And if our lives go wrong, then it's because we've done something wrong. So we think, one, something's wrong with me, and I hate myself. I am a complete failure. Or we blame God because in that moment, He becomes sovereign over everyone because He could have stopped it. I hate Him because He isn't treating me as I deserve. If this is true, that if I live right, then my life should go right, then every trial that we go to, every wilderness that we experience, it's going to lead us to self-hatred or God-hatred. And living this false belief out will poison your life and you will die in the wilderness. But what if there's more to our wilderness trials than to look into us and to look and blame God? What if God is using these trials to develop me and change me? Then... My wilderness becomes ultimately good for me, and I'm being led by a very gracious God who wants to teach me and change me. We don't need to be delivered from the wilderness. We need to realize that God is in the wilderness with us, and he will deliver us. You will never know how wonderful the food from God is until all your other food is gone. And you'll never know that God is all you need until you're in these wilderness seasons when it seems as if God is all you have. Sometimes the best thing that God can do for us is to take away these other foods that we hold as precious, that we hold as satisfying, that we hold as treasure in order for us to see Him as superior. Perhaps that's one of the most beautiful things that God can ever do for us. So my prayer for us this morning as a church, individually and corporately, this is tough. But I'm praying for us that that we would be squeezed. That he would take in order to give us something greater than what he's taking. That he would squeeze until we submit and cry out. My prayer is that he will take until all we have left is is him because it's then that he is enough. And that, my friend, is so compelling. When someone who is in the wilderness, who has joy, that's compelling. And my prayer is that for us as a church, that we show Nashville that you don't have to have everything in order to be happy, that you can be truly happy and satisfied even with nothing. That causes people to look in. There's nothing that satisfies as completely and as sufficiently as God. And Jesus does what is necessary to restore you to God. That's why we celebrate Jesus, because he's united us with God. That's where our peace comes from. That's where we're truly fed. Jesus is that bread that satisfies eternally, even in bad times here on earth, but forever in paradise with him. I pray that you're encouraged. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you for this this truth, Lord, I pray that it is taken and it is understood and and that you use it to nourish us. Lord, would you use it to convict us and and to bring us to our knees, to to call out to you and to pray to you. Lord, would would we all uh, trust you more and and would we see you as true and, and good, not just when we are removed from wilderness and trials and sufferings, but in the midst of wilderness, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials. Lord, would you grow us in trusting you as a group of people, as a body, as a community of faith? Would we, would we grow to believe you and trust in you regardless of our situation? And then individually, Lord, that make up this body. Lord, would we, would we trust you in the seasons of little? And not just in the seasons where there's much. Lord, would you, would you teach us these things? Lord, help those people now that are in the wilderness right now. And they feel lonely. They feel abandoned. They feel dry. It was, it was a miracle for them to get here today. And honestly, they can't wait to leave. Lord, would you encourage that heart? Lord, would you give them the words? Give them the words to call out to you. Lord, even if it's a hurt, even if it's I'm in pain, even if it's just crying out I'm lonely and I don't feel like you're there, Lord, you responded to the grumbling of hunger by giving bread from heaven and giving grace. Lord, would we be willing enough to speak how we truly feel knowing that you're going to give us grace? God, help us. Help your people. In Christ's name, amen.